Open Field Radio. Like, subscribe, share, and review wherever podcasts are found. If I had to describe this, I'd say it's cool people having conversations about agriculture and life. Because ag and life live side by side and sometimes overlap. I'm your host, Mark Flint, and this is Open Field Radio. Brought to you by Gowan Company. Michael Rollman, New York City, best-selling author of the book Grocery, The Buying and Selling of Food in America, judge for the Food Network's Next Iron Chef, Grocery History, Fascination, American Love Affair, and The American Farmer. We talk it all right now. A great quote. We'll just pick it up from here and you can take us on the adventure if you don't mind. You say, my interest in grocery stores was an attempt to understand the nature of the grocery store's power over our imagination, its emotional force as well as its measurable meanings. Wow. Yeah, did I write that? <laughs> you did. <laughs> it's, pretty, that? it's pretty cool. It's, that power over our imagination has stopped me cold. It really did. I was like, wait a minute, that is so right. I guess I was asking people to think a little bit differently about the grocery stores. It's, it's something at the place that just about everybody takes for granted. When, in fact, it's this sort of miracle of, uh, of distribution that we've set up in the United States of, well, from, from farm to store. I mean, the grocers I spoke with, Tom and Jeff Heinen uh, of the grocery chain Heinen's in Cleveland and Chicago, uh, they always just say, look, we're just the middleman here. And, um, and indeed they are. They, and they don't make judgments about what you should or shouldn't eat. They make judgments based on what you want, what you want, and they will try and provide it. Whether it's fresh carrots or if it's Cheerio cereal, um, they're there to provide it. But what's amazing to me is that we have abundant um, and increasingly nutritious food available to us virtually 24-7. The, the sheer abundance is kind of a metaphor for the abundance of America, uh, the abundance of its agricultural production. California alone produces something like a third of all the food. Right. Just one state produces a third of all the food in the country. And, and, and it's all siphoned through, it's all bottlenecked through the um, through the grocery store for the most part. Well, what's great is the grocery store is such a a commonplace, whether it's a supermarket or the local grocer, pretty much everybody in America can relate. And that idea that the imagination is in there and that your, your grocer is really the middleman, I think everybody can relate to that idea. And at the same time, I think we trust our grocers. We need to trust our grocers. We want to trust our grocers. We can't trust our grocers, then we can't trust our food. If we can't trust our food, we, we don't know that we're going to be healthy and safe. Um, they are kind of the keepers of our food and it, it is up to them to not put out bad food, you know, not put out bad produce, say, um, and to offer their customers a variety of products. And, and uh, more and more, I think people will be looking to grocers to educate them on how to eat more and more as our country has become sicker and sicker from diet related maladies. They're going to look to grocery stores for how to be more healthy and to be more healthy by buying fresh food that you cook yourself. It's as simple as that. But, you know, about the imagination, I just wanted people to reflect a little bit on the nature of the grocery store and not take it for granted. I wanted the reader to imagine what life would be like if there were no grocery stores. Mm -hmm. You had to rely on drugstore food, fast food, um, or restaurants. And restaurants now is just takeout. So, you know, that cuts out restaurants. Right. Um, we are so lucky to have grocery stores and I, you know, I did a podcast, I do a podcast called from scratch 
And during the pandemic, I talked to the grocers to see how they're doing. And of course, business is up by 30% because more and more people are shopping for their own food and there's not going to have to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also, uh, Tom told me that he, says he was amazed by how grateful their customers were. Um, oh, wow. Never they felt such gratitude from their customers. And their customers are realizing how essential grocery stores are out now because, you know, back when we thought it was dangerous to go out to the grocery store, mm-hmm. we we stocked up on stuff. And when you couldn't just go to the grocery store without thinking about it, when now you said it had to say, ooh, is it safe to go? Um, it's going to be less populated now. That's when you say, wow, this place is really valuable to me. And I'm really grateful that these guys are putting themselves at risk to make sure that we have groceries. And so they were rightfully grateful. And I remember I was grateful for my little co-op that I shopped at in Providence where we were. Sure. I was just, I always made sure to go out of my way to thank everybody there for being so helpful and for doing this, what is essential work. So grocery stores are really important. I wanted people to recognize that. Well, I love how you how you kind of position the grocery store and going to the grocery store as the event. In our childhood, of course, our parents, you referenced your dad all the way through it, which is just spectacular. Thank you. And that event of going to the grocery store and just the awe and wonder of, of what it is. Well, I got that from my dad because he was filled with awe and wonder at all the stuff you could eat. He loved to eat. He loved to cook. And, and, and the grocery store was a place of wonder for him. And I picked up on that. And certainly as I moved into a career of writing and specifically writing about chefs and food and cooking, the grocery store became very important to me. And I wanted to explore it. Open Field Radio. Like, share, subscribe. Look, it's this simple. Agitate, expose, and improve control with Captiva Prime Insecticide. Captiva Prime is OMRI approved and compatible for use with or around beneficial insects. That's a good thing. Captiva Prime has the unique ability to drive the insects and the mites out of hiding for more contact with treated surfaces. Increasing the exposure time of other contact insecticides in your tank mix. And it's labeled for use on outdoor and indoor crops. Always read and follow label directions from Gowan Company. Open Field Radio. You focused in at one point on an area that I relate to 100% because my mother was the same way. And you referenced that your dad would come home with uh, something new that he discovered at the grocery store. Hey, we got to try this. Hey, look yeah. at this. You ever seen one of these? And I don't think we see as much of that anymore because I think we are, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in some ways we're kind of desensitized to the awe and wonder because everything is awe and wonder. But in those in the late 60s, early 70s, mid-70s, products were coming out fast and furious, and there was always something you'd never seen before. Yeah, uh, it wasn't. I think you're right. We have become desensitized to that because food processors, people who make the food, just try to put out more and more stuff. So we've got far too many choices that we could ever hope to taste or try. You know, it went from 7,000 products in the store when you and I were growing up to forty to 50,000 single, different single items in the store, which is staggering. Right. Is there such a thing anymore as a grocer? Well, you know, I really consider, the, you know, Tom and Jeff Heinen, who I, whom I wrote about, mm-hmm. they are grocers. They care about their customers. They care about providing for them. So, yeah, there are. When you get to the big grocers, like the Kroger's, the biggest grocery store chain in the country, right. doing $100 billion in sales. I don't know if you have somebody who cares enough about or can care in the same way that a small grocer does, you know, Tom and Jeff oversee 24 
22 to 24 stores. I can't remember what it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a manageable size. And they've got, you know, their team is small enough to really care about the product. So I really, I really like those stores that are in that 10 to 30 stores because it's a manageable size. They can do the volume to get the deals that they need and be successful, you know, be profitable. Um, but they're not so huge that uh, the customer gets kind of lost in their business. Um, you know, you've got, I don't know what you have there out in Arizona, but I would always go to either a single grocer or a, a Heinen's or, you know, London Byerly's is another example. You know, small, and by small, that's <laughs> small is deceptive because the Heinen's do uh, more than half a billion dollars a year in sales. Mm-hmm. Um, but they only make 1.5% profit, so they're really they still are a small family business. And, you know, I, I encourage people to appreciate the difference between chains that are, are small and run by people who you could contact as opposed to the, the great big chains of the, the Kroger's and the stop and shops. There's some stop and shops are co-op. You know, there are all kinds of chains out there and I encourage people to go there rather than say a Kroger. Even though a Kroger can be perfectly fine. But there's nothing against Kroger. They're just huge. And it's half the adventure too, I have to admit. These smaller if you will, stores are a whole new adventure unto themselves. Um, they are, and often it's because they're small enough that their department managers, whether that department is dairy, whether that department is what's called grocery, which is everything in the center of the store, whether mm-hmm. it's department is produce, whether the department is cheese, they're going to be working to find special items that you love that you can only get there, and so we'll always come back. Or they have a good cheese program. You know, grocery stores kind of wiped out the small wine and cheese shop that were just springing up when you and I were kids and blossomed in the 80s. But then grocery stores got into that business, and they, they could get better deals because of their buying power. And they've become the cheese experts now and the wine experts. Sure, That's why Kroger bought Murray's Cheese, the great the great cheese company founded mm-hmm. in New York, they just, they bought the company, Murray's Cheese, and that's how they got their cheese program into the 21st century. If you can't beat them, join them. Yeah, exactly. Some, you know, some grocers don't really care. I mean, I, I, I can't tell you how many grocers I ran into who, who really didn't care about food. It was just, a, they, were, it could, they could have been selling screws and nails and nuts and bolts. It was weird, but um, I was happy that the Heinens, they love to eat and drink and enjoy their food. And that's how, you know, it's part of the success of their store, I think, is because they get great product. And I think, you know, they're not, they're not unique in that. But I think the ones who do care about eating and care about appreciating what makes life special, they're going to have a better store. Where is quality of product versus price in this day and age? Well, you know, it's pretty good. People people want cheap food, but they should be looking for nutritious food and eating appropriate amounts of it. We've never had such good produce. You know, those those little finger carrots, those little baby carrots is a good example. It, it started out as somebody trying to make use of all the broken carrots they had, and they'd whittle them down and sell them as baby carrots, and they took off. But they were terrible. <laughs> they were so often the center, they, they were the, you know, that center right. woody core that the carrots, which is no good. But they had a market for these carrots. And so somebody thought, well, let's grow these little carrots so that they're good. So the quality of those baby carrots increased enormously. So that's that's an interesting example of this, a a weird journey from a a bad product marketed simply to avoid shrink, as they say, became a, a, a means of getting a more nutritious vegetable that didn't previously exist. And we're doing that more and more. We're doing that with apples and we're doing that with vegetables and Never have we had it so good. When you and I were growing up in the grocery store, there was no, you didn't get shiitake. 
was talking to Jacques Pepin, the, the, the TV host and the great chef and um, ambassador for food, Jacques Pepin. When he came to America in the late 60s, he went to the produce guy and said, where are your mushrooms? And he said, aisle four with, with the other canned vegetables. Mm-hmm. They didn't have fresh mushrooms at the store that he went into. I couldn't get morel mushrooms in 1970s. Nobody even knew what a morel mushroom was. Not at all. Um, we didn't have shiitakes. Um, we had five different kinds of apples. We had a few different kinds of lettuces. It was mainly iceberg lettuce because it held and traveled so well. Sure. Now the, the produce is lined with kiwis and jackfruit and, and multicolored carrots and all kinds of organic stuff. Well, what about, you know, it's a big movement of locally sourced produce. That's always a good choice, but you have to evaluate it. I mean, some just because a farmer's local doesn't mean he's a great farmer. You got to look at the quality of the produce. Do they pick their tomatoes at the right time? Are they picking their corn at the right time? Does it taste good or is it tough and, <clears throat> and has it been sitting out too long? So again, just because it's local doesn't mean it's better. But um, it often is simply because it's easier, you know, to get from field to your to your home and it's fresher and well cared for in the most part. But just because it's local doesn't mean it's great. Well, that goes into that power over the imagination and an emotional force kind of idea with a grocery store. Because locally sourced to a lot of people would go, oh, that's the better one to buy. It is, and it usually is. But just because it's local doesn't mean it's better. Right. I, I would always give local a try because it's most likely to be better. And it is better for a number of reasons, you know, for, for transportation and quality and just the economics of the situation. Sure. So, yeah, do buy local. It's good. Support your local farmers. It's fun. And you get to know what's what's in your own backyard, so to speak. In this process, I see one, two, three players. Correct me if I'm wrong. I see the consumer, and that would be like you and me. I see the grocery store and agriculture. They're kind of all equal partners in this, and yet I'm sure one drives another, and that goes back and forth in some way. Agriculture is, I, I see that as being the, that's the bigger part of it too. I mean, agriculture goes into not only producing our fresh stuff, but all the soy and corn products that make up all our processed foods. So, and, and it's just so, you know, our country is so huge and produces so much food, it's really hard to get your mind around the staggering numbers, you know, how much food we actually produce. But I think I, I would divide it into those two things. You've got food processor, just about everything we eat, we grow. It's just how how processed it happens to be. I mean, a lot of the food that we grow, you can't eat in its natural form. And that's bad food. This is monoculture food. And, you know, we're rightfully warned against relying too much on a monoculture um, because it's too easily destroyed. If you destroy something that you rely on absolutely, um, you're in big trouble as the Irish potato famine was a good example of what happens when you rely on a single source of food. So, you know, I would divide agriculture into those people who are growing food that we eat in its natural form, whether it's a strawberry, a cherry, an apple, an almond, uh, versus those who grow for industrialized food. We've set that up since the post-war years. We've created this system. Now, there's not a single farmer that I would denigrate for growing uh, food in whatever form to make a living. Uh, What they do is very hard, and it's very hard to make a good living at it. 
And so I respect all farmers, regardless if they're growing the commodity corn that's going to be turned into corn syrup. I don't make a moral distinction between one or the other. They're all doing what they need to do. Uh, but I do admire those farmers who are trying to grow a great product that both feeds their family through business and nourishes uh, a customer. Is the grocery store simply a middleman or do they have influence over both you and I and the ag world where products are concerned or demand is concerned? Or are they the conduit from one to the other? They're, they're all of those things. And collectively, they certainly can change things. I mean, um, Whole Foods almost single-handedly allowed organic foods to enter grocery stores in a substantial way, in a meaningful way. Uh, again, back to the Heinen brothers, they, their customers were asking for organic food, but they couldn't get enough of it because no one, because not enough farmers were growing it. When Whole Foods entered the market and would only sell organic food, farmers realized that they could actually make a living by growing organic food, and many of them switched over. And as they did, there was more and more available, more and more became available to conventional grocery stores, and their aisles started filling up with um, increasing amounts of organic food, and it's only getting more and more. Well, you mentioned in the book that John Mackey changed the world, drawing attention to how food was grown. John Mackey, of course, being from Whole Foods. Yeah, absolutely. He, he really did. He created a system whereby farmers could make a living growing organic food, food that is better for us. So that's one guy, that's one grocer. That's the power of a grocery store. When I was a little kid, my grandma went to the grocery store that she could walk to because that's just how life was. And that little grocery store went back into my mother's life. So the power of whether it's the little neighborhood grocery store from 70 years ago or the giant food center that is now really is a big cornerstone to our lives. Of course it is, depending on where you grew up and how, and it certainly was mine. Um, and I, you know, it's, it's a landmark of my of my youth, the Fisher Fazio's Grocery Store at Cleveland Hall. It was just up the street, and also Heinen's. I, I still can picture very vividly, it's where I first shoplifted. Well, <laughs> I would stand there, I was five years old, and my mother was at the paying up, and I would stuff my back pockets full of candy from the oh little rack gosh. behind me. My mom caught me and made me take it back to Tony. She did. <laughs> yeah, Tony, Tony Faggio made me give him back and apologize, bawling and snuffling and yeah, saying right. I'm sorry. Oh, you bet. Never, never, yeah, I never stole anything again. So the grocery store right. dropped me in Fort More of Open Field Radio. After this. So here you go. EcoSwing from Gowan, USA is an OMRI-approved botanical fungicide created using proprietary plant extracts. Gotta love it. EcoSwing is labeled for use on many different crops to control powdery mildew, botrytis, monolinia, alternaria, and several other diseases. And it's a global leader in fungicidal control of several key pathogens. EcoSwing makes a valuable addition to your integrated pest management program. Add another mode of action to your disease control defense and combat possible resistance from overuse of other actives. EcoSwing. Always read and follow label directions from Gowan Company. And now back to Open Field Radio with our guest, best-selling food author, Michael Rollman. Well, in your book, and your book is called Grocery, The Buying and Selling of Food in America, you tell a great, throughout the book, but really in the beginning of it especially, but you tell this great story of your father and his Saturday adventures into the grocery store. Well, you know, in, back in uh, back in the 1970s, according to Cleveland Union labor laws, they couldn't keep grocery stores open past 6 p.m. On, on weekdays, or couldn't keep past 6 p.m. period, which left um, a, a, a household where 
um, both parents worked. My mom and dad both worked. They only had one day to shop. And so he'd have to, my dad would have to, and he did the shopping. My mom, he loved to do the shopping. So he, he offered to do the shopping. <laughs> he'd make a list for the whole week. He would plan out whole meals and make sure we had everything. And we would sometimes, I'd go with him. I, he'd need me to go with him because we'd be pushing two two baskets uh, of food toward the uh, toward the cash register, as so many other families did. It was mobbed on Saturdays. So then ultimately, when they started staying open later, he could go during the week. But he, he sort of morphed into going to four or five different grocery stores in a single day because he loves grocery stores. Because this one had a better deal here, and he got some coupons in finest, and he'd go to Heinen's, get the specialty products that he was looking for. And, um, and he just, you know, again, he loved grocery stores. So it wasn't a chore to him as it is to so many people. Um, it was a, a pleasure and people should stop and think about it and take pleasure in going to a grocery store and take pleasure in planning out, not just one as we more and more during the pandemic have to do because we want to limit grocery store shopping. And then we, we have the, the average card is much fuller than it used to be, but the average number of trips per week to the grocery store has diminished uh, enormously. Well, more people are planning ahead. They're planning three, four, five, six meals ahead, and that's a good thing. You know, more and more people are cooking. That's a good thing, and we've got good right. stuff to cook because we've got good grocery stores. Well, and it's fun, and that's kind of the adventure of it all. That's the other part of the adventure of it all. It's not just seeing it and buying it. Of course, you want to take it home and eat it, open that box and try it out. You know, and the cooking part of it, I think, comes hand in hand with it all. Where are we right now? Grocery delivery, food service delivery, I'm sure it's booming right now. Um, yes, it, it's all transforming. It was, it was already beginning to transform with um, internet shopping, internet ordering, with home delivery. Uh, the pandemic just uh, accelerated everything 10 times. So um, we're going to see all kinds of different ways to shop, and you're going to tailor your shopping toward your lifestyle and your appreciate, you know, whatever quality of the food you want. I mean, if you do your own shopping, you're going to get the quality that you desire. If you let somebody else pick your apples for you, your tomatoes, right. they may not be right. You may get that onion with a big divot in it that it has to be thrown away that you wouldn't have chosen. Exactly. So, but the, the thing is, we're going to have more options, as always. You know, that's the story of America. <laughs> right. It's increasing the amount of options. Right. Well, and that's the grocery store. Options, 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 options. What about the prepared food deliveries, the subscription food services, etc.? Oh, like like Blue Apron and uh, Correct. Um, Hello Fresh. I've tried them, and they're good. Um, and I like them. I like the food. I think there's too much packaging involved and people don't like that. But I think what they're really going to do is show people how to cook. It's like, look, oh, you know, I can cut up a scallion, you know, and I can buy my own <laughs> scallion. You know, right. I can buy, right. buy you know, I can buy this stuff and it's really not that hard. So they may, you know, they may teach America to cook um, and to the point where America doesn't need them to, to box food for them. They're going to do it themselves. And for cheaper. So I don't know. I don't know what the future of, of that kind of thing is. But I like the thing you said that is, you, know, you can see where it teaches someone to cook. I, I like that. And I like, the, you know, I just think that when you're cooking raw food, which is what these places provide, um, you're doing all kinds of good things besides serving what, you know, it's going to be default nutritious because you're cooking raw food. It's going to teach you to cook. And it also gives all the benefits of of, of, of cooked food in a household, which are the aromas of food being cooked and the warmth so and, great. And, and, and relaxation that that gives everyone who lives in that house. Whether you know it or not, that smell of food is relaxing. And uh, it brings us together, of course. 
when we when we spend time cooking food, we're going to enjoy it together, and that is good. There are so many benefits to cooking. As I've always, you know, I've been preaching uh, how important cooking is, and how life is better when we cook our own food. Got a favorite food? You're, you cook all the time. I would have to say pork, um, because of all the varieties. Unlike any other animal that we eat, it can be turned into more different items, dishes, preparations than anything else. Beef is beef, chicken is chicken, and I'm not a huge I'm not a huge fish fan. So fish is is great for the enormous diversity it offers. Um, if you like all kinds of fish, um, but I like pork. I like braising it. I like grilling it. I like turning it into sausage. I like dry curing it. Um, I like all the different cuts from like uh, from the head to the tail. Uh, it's a it's sort of a a miracle. Whenever I sign my book, Charcuterie, which is about dry curing uh-huh. and uh, pates and trees and things, I always say, sign and honor the pig, honor the pig, because its its bounty is endless. Amazing. Speaking of titles, can you run us through your book list? Well, yeah, grocery. If you're curious about where your food comes from, grocery. My last cookbook is called From Scratch, um, how ten, how you can learn just about anything you need to know from cooking 10 different meals, from roast chicken to, to pork shoulder to profiteroles and chocolate sauce and ice cream uh, for dessert. Um, so I love that book and um, any other of my 20-odd books. I, I, got a, I got a personal question for you, just looking at your book list, uh, your involvement on the, the French Laundry book. Yes. Um, I wrote the French Laundry Cookbook with Thomas Keller, and it was published in 1999, and have done all the Thomas Keller books since. I've been the writer on all those. Um, so we're translating um, Thomas and his team's work into interesting stories um, about the food and the importance of food. And he's been a, he's a he's a real he's a gentleman. He's a, a great business manager he's a great chef he's a great um he's a great friend and um you know i've just been so lucky to have been able to work with thomas over all these years and we're coming out we just finished the the last one it's coming out this fall it's called the french uh the french laundry per se okay cool about the last the last one of the thomas keller cookbooks excellent um 38,000 grocery stores in america the American farmer has his work cut out for him. It's the American farmer that's feeding the country and feeding other parts of the world as well as we export a lot of our, our products. So, yeah, um, that, that's where we get our food. We don't manufacture it in a lab for the most part. Right. They're trying to do that with meat. Um, but for, for, for the most part, everything you eat has been grown in some form. It didn't. It didn't. It wasn't, it wasn't, didn't come together in a lab, and it wasn't. A, it's not a chemical construction. It was, it was grown somehow. It may have been heavily processed into a wheat thin or a snack well, um, but that stuff that you're eating came from the ground originally, and we need to take care of that ground and that soil, and also protect the lives that are doing the planting and the harvesting. You've been listening to Open Field Radio from Gowan Company. Like, share, subscribe, review. Everywhere podcasts are found. All rights reserved. No duplication or redistribution without permission.